And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. Starting next week, we have a new time slot, Tuesday evenings from 9 to 10 p.m. Uh, in addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. And every Thursday, a small crew of local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Elmer and Hunter, in Peterborough at 5 p.m. for an informal gathering. Whereat we yell at each other about politics. Well, not quite, but we don't yell. But we talk about politics. All are welcome. Please join us. We post on Twitter, at Bill Temp, and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Tonight, our intrepid panel returns from their summer escapades. Joining me in the studio is playwright and math teacher Tim Etherington, communications consultant, podcaster and writer Donald Fraser, and a special guest panelist, musician and provincial NDP candidate Sean Conway. Welcome, gentlemen. All right, so let's pick up where we left off on our program of June 26th. We debriefed the Ontario election results and made some rash predictions about what might happen during the Ford era in Ontario. Well, were we right? What do we think? (laughs) Uh, I have multiple gestures in the studio. I think there was a lot of shrugs. Well, I mean, it was hard, kind of hard to be wrong on, on that one. We, we, I mean, we, we've covered the fact that that Ford got in. Uh, that in itself is, is was to some a shocker, to some not. Uh, I think I think the fallout of it is is exactly what we predicted, which was that we have a guy who who is going to uh, pretty much make things up as he goes and and to steamroll things through. Now, am I alone in? Being a bit puzzled, why that's such a huge reaction about uh, sex ed? I, I don't think he came into decision to run for politics with the idea that he was going to go after sex ed. I think that was a issue of convenience, and when it was a vacuum of policy platform issues for Doug Ford, he grabbed onto that one. And you know, say one thing about the Ford I, Fords. I think they are, you know, they they do work a bit like a mob family and always have, and so they <laughs> they feel a certain degree of loyalty to the the crazy wing uh, represented by Tanya Granick-Allen that uh, gave him the leadership. So they're going to follow through in that. I mm. do disagree a little bit, though. I, I think this, I, I think I was, I think I underestimated this government a little bit, at least in as much as they would, uh, how brazen they would be. And and that was probably, as I said, unfortunately, naive on my part. You know, when I look at the use of the notwithstanding clause and a couple other things that are out there that are really going to hurt very soon. It kind of flew under the radar, but when the provincial government sort of took back control of the uh, former Ontario Place lands and said, uh, you know, scotched all the previous plans, they were putting a whole bunch of parkland in there, we're going to get a Ferris wheel. Uh, I don't, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we are because Doug Ford wants to stick his middle finger and say, you laughed at me once. And, uh, Here's a Ferris wheel. Here's a Ferris wheel, yeah. And I think I think absolutely when you look at of the ranks of the Conservative Party that Doug Ford came up out of in that leadership race, we know now that that Doug Ford's always been involved in the Conservative Party of Ontario. Um, I'm I'm withholding the use of the word progressive in the name of the party now, <laughs> and because it's no longer the party of Mr. Davis. And True. but we look at how Mr. Ford was able to take on power and what concessions 
he made perhaps to development and also to social conservatives in the province. And another thing that a lot of people are forgetting is that he's still planning on chopping up the Greenbelt. And that in itself, alongside developments at Ontario Place and the big Ferris wheel up, what what else are we going to see? We're going to see erosion of the Greenbelt, green spaces, and for that not being a priority of this government. And as much as I would say, uh, uh, because I wear the big orange hat, that the Liberal Party, you know, in itself did a lot of uh, concessions to green spaces and proper development, it wasn't done very well. And the Conservative government is not even going to entertain the thoughts of sustainable development. They want business as usual, Harris and Miller style development to happen. And that's what got us in the position that we're at right now. So I, I don't know if anyone wants to add to any of that, but I think we, we I certainly believe that we have we have the government that Mr. Ford promised. You know, one thing I, you know, we, we've always danced around making the comparisons to the Orange Menace down south. <laughs> I suppose the Orange Menace on my left here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The uh, and and one of the distinctions, one of the most horrifying aspects of the Trump presidency is that there are things, many things that he's done that are legal. You know that the president yes. has the power to do it. He's never done it before, and so there's been a lot of discussion between legality and norms and tradition. And I think with the opening salvos of the Ford government, the most disturbing thing is, yes, for example, he can use the notwithstanding clause. That is legal for him to do, but people haven't done it because it's such a bludgeon, such set such a terrible precedent. And I'm afraid that's just a, an indication of what's going to come. And, and and look back to when he was a city councillor, uh, and his brother his brother Rob yes. was a mayor, and you you had the same language. Uh, so they would both talk about the people. They would talk about democracy while at the same time throttling democracy and, and getting people further and further away from actually accessing the people who are in power. The notwithstanding clause shouldn't be seen, or his use of the notwithstanding clause shouldn't be seen as all that surprising because the precedent has been set. By uh, by him as a, as a counselor, the uh, that's his modus operandi is to say, you know what, I'm doing this for the people. I was elected by X number of people, which is actually a very small minority of the number of people of voters in Ontario. Twenty two percent. Twenty two percent. And so he's he's. He's using populism uh, as a, as a means of uh, well, he's using the term democracy and people as shorthand for straight up populism and hijacking of power. Now, what about the notwithstanding clause? Is it the the earth shaking uh, violation of Canadian democracy across the country that uh, some maintain, or is this, as you say, a legal thing that's Perhaps like a certain hit in hockey, you really shouldn't do it, but you're not going to be called on it. Well, when uh, you look at the history of, of Section 33 and when they were putting together the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution under Mr. Trudeau, there was one particularly vocal opponent of implementing the Constitution as it is right now, and it was an NDP MP from British yeah. Columbia. Uh, Sven Robinson, who you right. may remember, right, a very controversial course. figure in Canadian politics for many years. But he voted against the Constitution right. because of the notwithstanding clause. And we've not seen uh, use of notwithstanding clause section 33 in Ontario, but we've seen it used quite a bit. The majority of which, I believe it's been used 14, 15 times, has been in Quebec. You know, which, which speaks to his genus in the first place. I mean, it, I know that, uh, you know, Pierre Trudeau always was chagrined about the notwithstanding clause. It, it completely ran afoul of, of his sense of federalism and what the Constitution was supposed to be about. 
but it was a sop. It was an attempt to bring Quebec to the table. It didn't work in the end. They didn't. They didn't sign it. But it it lingered there. And I, I you know, perhaps it's one of these things where memories start to fade. You know, the notwithstanding clause had uh, a very bad reputation in most of the country for that reason. It was seen as basically a way to try to lure the the, the hardcore separatists from Quebec to, to to join in. Right now, can we talk business for a moment? Ford got in saying, you know, Ontario is going to be open for business. We're going to turn this economy around. You know, Ontario's been broken. And yet the trashing of cap and trade, for example, is hurting a lot of Ontario businesses in that field. I've heard also that there have been job losses. So my question is, I'd be interested in knowing from the three of you, how is it that conservatives, supposedly conservatives like Ford, can run on a pro-business agenda and then do all these things that hurt businesses. Yeah, so and no one's screaming. <laughs> well, there's people screaming. It's, it's who's listening. And cap and trade is one side of things. But you have to look at, if we're trying to increase business in, in Ontario, if we're trying to lose, if we're trying to lure big businesses, if we're trying to lure the, the, the Amazons of, of the world, number one on their list is quality of life. Yeah. And uh, right now we're looking at a government that has zero interest in quality of life. And so when when you're making when you're making deep cuts, and this is this is going to roll out through education, through health, through green space, through all these things that people value when uh, when they're setting up shop, uh, you're actually not doing a great service to your to your business industry. Of course right. not. You look at. Uh Look at where Ontario stands. So, in the StatsCan report that came out, uh, concluding the month of the month of August, we saw eighty thousand jobs lost in Ontario. What are the big leaders of industry in Canada? They're going to be British Columbia and Alberta, for whatever purpose. It doesn't matter who's in power there. They're the big economic drivers. You look at Alberta itself. Although the the conception is that Alberta is is a natural gas extractor, and we're getting into an economy that, well, our our brand of conservatism across the country is getting getting us back out and into extraction because we don't have the manufacturing base anymore. So our 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 national economy is going to be about extraction. That exists there, but Alberta and British Columbia, they're getting ahead of the curve, and they're getting into. Uh, innovation. They're getting into technology, they're getting into green energy, and they're supporting it at a government level. We were starting to see that with a lot of the Green uh, the green Energy Act and, and all of this sort of thing in Ontario. Do I think that the previous government did enough to encourage that? Absolutely not. But were they good steps in the right direction? Absolutely. What does Ontario have to offer for resource extraction at the moment? Not very much. Correct. We have the Ring of Fire in northern Ontario that's been untapped, and if we were to start developing that, it, you know, that's uh, that's not a, a road that I think should be travelled uh, very heavily. Not to say that there shouldn't be some mining there, mm-hmm. but to you know, to have Mister Ford go up there with a bulldozer himself is not exactly <laughs> the uh, the thing that I want to see for for northern Ontario because that's where our extraction is. If we're not manufacturing, we have to be extracting. And extraction is 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 a, the biggest cause of, of uh, large scale pollution that we see. And cap and trade fought against that. And 
It depends on, I mean, business is not just a monolithic thing. You know, there's many different aspects to the economy and to entrepreneurship. The kind of business is prioritized by Ford and his followers is, is a fairly old model. But in a very material way, he is business friendly in doing things like cutting down on the permit and red tape process, the yeah. those pesky environmental regulations, as Sean mentioned earlier, opening up uh, green spaces for development. So there's a lot, there are certain types of businesses that are absolutely delighted by uh, Ford's government. Uh, However, what other people have said is also true. The economy is changing, and the growth parts of the economy are largely unseen by people who are locked in those old models. I think this also speaks a bit to the city of Peterborough, but I guess we're getting to that later on in the conversation. <laughs> yes, yes, that's after the break. Okay, if we could change channels for just a bit, is anyone beginning to get gripped about the U.S. midterms? Is there a blue tide in the Keep clouds. In Canada, Bill. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I started seeing headlines, and it, it was actually for the first time made me think, oh, thank God Trump's not forever. Uh, because because it is. Uh, the, the current administration is all-encompassing. Uh, we are so dialed into not just the horrors uh, of what it represents to the people of America and the people of the world, but the uh, the, the crazy showmanship, the, the the voyeuristic aspects of, of Trump's life in the White House. When when you're opening up newspapers, and people still read newspapers, right? Yeah. Um, and and reading stories about the president's genitalia, you know, you've you've got you've got you've got to you've got to say to yourself, oh man, there, there's something deeply wrong going on here. So yeah, bring on. Bring on the primaries. Oh, you, you know, and Sean, your, your comment in Canada is, is spot on. And, and let me respond to that. I have always felt, I shouldn't say always, but there have been occasions over my long years that I felt the American election is more important than our elections for actually what happens in Canada. And I think this time around... Well, in, in certainly a geopolitical sense, you're right, and certainly influence on Canada. I mean, you know... I said this already. I mean, Ford's doing a, a bad Donald Trump cover band right now, uh, which still makes him dangerous. But, but you know, they're believe down the road tonight. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 they're, right. they're playing down every road, unfortunately. In, in terms of what's going to happen, the worst is still yet to come with the Trump administration. The, the more they get cornered, the more they get frustrated, the worse it's, it's going to get. As for what's going to happen in midterms, I mean, the, the betting line is that the Republicans are going to lose the House and they'll probably hold on to the Senate. Um, it, it, we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. Uh, the big thing that will happen, the, 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 the tangible result of the midterm elections will be that uh, the Democrats take control of the House committees. And they can subpoena all sorts of things. The White House will ignore it, and uh, there will be very few consequences. But they will have the power to produce documents. So we will finally get a look at Donald Trump's taxes. Um, beyond all that, though, uh, I think if you're following American politics, is that the the specter of the Robert Mueller investigation and how close at home they're getting there. I mean, this is the guy who brought down Enron. He brought down the Gambino crime family, and it looks like he's going to bring down the Trump family eventually. And it, when there isn't the shield of the House committees to right. to prevent Mueller from getting closer, so that but that will mean Trump gets very dangerous at that point. I think it's also I think it's also very important to say that. Uh, Around the time of, of the U.S. primary, about a day after, I believe is the final deadline for a NAFTA agreement. And we're going to see right. if there is a tantrum from the White House, that's going to be most paramount in our relations trade-wise with the United States. As mm. Mr. Trump is trying to get unity going, saying, well, 
Canadian dairy farmers are hurting American dairy farmers, which is absolutely not the case. Mm. Uh, our system of supply management is 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 second to none when when we're actually standing up uh, and protecting our farmers here. But also, the big untruth is that uh, Americans make six hundred million dollars a year off of us in dairy. Now, and also, someone was. It could have been you, Tim, last time, mentioning that if all these changes to the auto pact go through, Americans, folks who live and work in the States, will wind up paying up to 2000 more per car every time they go shopping. Yeah, I don't know if I quoted the exact figure, but the, the auto market and a lot of manufacturing business uh, is so integrated. You know, oh. and again, anyone with a cursory knowledge of how these things work, you know, things are flying across the border left and right. One part being made there, being improved in Canada and throwing back. And, and you know, I, I, I'm a veteran of the 80s and being opposed to free trade. And there were a lot of good reasons still to be opposed to these international trade agreements. Yes, but, there, but there certainly is something to be said about not having these really strict walls because it has created more economic activity and more jobs ultimately. I, one other thing about how this all folds back to Canadian politics, the happiest person in the country that Donald Trump is being so belligerent in trade negotiations is, is Justin Trudeau. He's been able to wrap himself in the flag, and sure, he's getting flack. Uh, I know the NDP brought up supply management in the House of Commons today, and there was uh, you know, the, the Andrew Scheer and, and, and the rebel media hordes around him filled social media with criticisms, thinly veiled uh, misogynist attacks on Christian Phelan. But the fact of the matter is, it's a winning argument for Trudeau. I'm sure he's happy to negotiate NAFTA with the belligerent White House as long as it takes. Well, now, coming back to Canada, what do we collectively make of Mad Max? And uh, the People's Party. <laughs> Mr. Conway, please. I, uh, I wish uh, Chairman Bernier the, the, best, the best of luck in, in this new, in this new ven- venture. And, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of the Western Rebellion with the formation of the Reform Party. And I, can't, I really want to know what Preston Manning is thinking. I want to know what those, what those guys are talking about. Because this is exactly what's happening, and I and I, from things that I'm reading and from folks that I I know and I'm connected with, that he's he's doing okay is is what I'm hearing, and that should be, it is alarming that this sort of protectionist uh, party is is swaying away. But he's going to jump from the Wild Rose Party, and he's going to get that support in Western Canada. Now, provincially, we see the United Conservative Party is, is doing doing what it can in bringing down the government there. But I think we're going back to a divide in the Conservative Party, and I don't think that that's something Mr. Scheer can fight back against. He did not get a commanding majority in the last leadership contest there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of division within the Conservative Party. So you think that, uh, Sean... Uh, you- I'd be interested in your take on this. Are other conserv- conservatives or just other people going to get on Bernier's bus? Absolutely. It's it's happening. Mm-hmm. We see it online. You can go online right now and you can look up the – he's got different organizing portals all over Facebook, all over social media, thousands of members signing up, people burning their Conservative Party of Canada – cards be you know and and all on all on uh, on how we treat milk cows that's really all it is and and as scary as scary as he they are we also have to take a look at a uh, uh, 
what might be a good healthy splitting of the right as well. Uh, we inevitably we go into uh, election time uh, at the provincial and federal level, and uh, we, we uh, people on the left people who are either supporters of uh, the Liberal Party or the NDP they uh, they they've gotten the habit of holding their noses and jumping uh, and and trying to get behind. Uh, what the strategic vote is, and it, it's 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 no longer that we're following the the parties. We're we're now following the path of of least resistance, and uh, I think that a splitting of the right is going to do something really econ- interesting to our our political spectrum, and uh, it, it may in fact be helpful to to both parties on the left. Yeah, I certainly agree, yeah. certainly agree with that. I mean, I was. I remember I was up at the cottage <laughs> when, when the party was formed, and then I was on a cottage in Lake Huron and had to uh, walk up the hill to uh, to uh, actually get a uh, get a signal. And I came running down and told my family, "Oh, it's the best news ever!" Because for a tactical reason, split on the vote. But I do want to pick up what Sean said about uh, Western reform and Preston Manning, and I want to give a little love to Preston Manning. I, I want to get him a jet ski. <laughs> oh no, no, see, that's the thing. That's but that's day. but that's oh, it right, that's right there right. Because, because Preston Manning's philosophy was deeply rooted in the Alberta social credit. Yeah. You know, it was rooted in the notion of direct democracy for you know whatever you thought about some stuff, and there was a lot of stuff that Manning supported that I didn't like. There was a coherent, deeply held uh, you know political belief that he learned in his father's knee that he brought to federal politics. And there were certain aspects about the way the Reform Party in its initial mm. uh, apparition, the way they the way they conducted themselves, that actually was admirable. Uh, Bernier is a pale, pale shadow of that. It's 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 the contemporary id politics as Sean denoted, like it's anti dairy farming, anti immigrant, the things that'll push buttons, bring memberships, bring dollars and everything like that. So I, I think strategically behaves like the Reform Party, but it, it has no resemblance whatsoever to actually the ideals of the Reform Party. I would like to write down the fact that you used uh, Reform Party and Admirable in the, in the same... <laughs> I like Preston Man. I actually I, I like Preston Man. <laughs> Never vote for him, but I like him. We have a... We have, you know, f- to, tie it, to tie this all into Peterborough, we have a, uh, a certain uh, council candidate in Northcrest who happens to be a uh, nephew of Preston Manning. We didn't know that. Mr. Hatton. Really? Mr. Hatton. Mr. Hatton. Great, okay. great nephew of Mr. Preston Manning. Interesting, interesting stuff. There you go. Well, this is why, folks, you have to listen to Pints and Politics. Don't miss a week. And required <laughs> reading for next week is C.B. McPherson's uh, The Life and Times of uh, Democracy in Alberta. I think I got that right. The Life and Times of Democracy. That's a whole history. You want to hear about Preston Manning's family, that's where you're going to find it. Interesting. You know, I... In following all this news over the summer, it occurred to me that, uh, particularly coming out of Washington, that my political vocabulary is getting challenged and expanded every week. For example, I didn't know what a flipper was, but a flipper is now, you know, someone who changes their mind and you thought was a loyal supporter of X and then he decides to, he or she decides to go to Y and X brands. Oh, I'm sorry, Bill. Have you missed the last couple of elections? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I, I've been missing. Yeah. I've been missing. Uh, okay. Is anyone paying any attention to what's going on in the Toronto election? And particularly, I, I have been. What's your take? Well, you, you, Toronto right now, they're losing. It, it is the sixth biggest government in Canada, right? Of course. They're, Toronto is about to lose a fabulous councillor in Sarah Doucette, who has stepped down. Oh. Sarah doesn't want to compete in a 25-ward race. She's stepped down. She'll be supporting Gord Perks. And we're seeing a lot of people who 
are are not going to be at the table anymore. You know, to be to be completely fair, I haven't paid too much attention to Toronto politics since David Miller. Right. I'm a big fan of David Miller. Right. You know, love him or leave him, but I like yep. David Miller, and uh, and it's nice to have the crash course on how that works because, as you said, it is the sixth largest government in Canada. And I, I think it's it's important that we we pay attention to this. But but even notwithstanding that, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a, you know I I was going to be a stand up comedian before I got into this whole thing. But it's important to know that beyond the the cut of Toronto Council, it's the removal of elections in in the uh, Peel, York, and Niagara regions. They're no longer holding elections and those heads will be appointed and it's important that's it's an issue uh, they were always appointed but two years ago they decided that they'd hold elections but apparently mr ford hates appointed uh, people so much that he wants to appoint some people to be the regional chairs of york peel and uh, niagara oh, dear i was wondering if anyone had any observations about Faith Goldie and the media blackout that's surrounding her campaign. Let's keep that blackout going. <laughs> my, my sentiments. My sentiments. Uh, although I do, I do notice challenges about democracy and the the where I've come to in my understanding is there's democracy. She's allowed to run. There's also in politics a thing called power. And as long as... People like, if I owned a newspaper, I had power, I wouldn't mention her. This is the playbook of the whining fringe right, right, who, you know, go on and on about free speech when it suits them. And when they can't get media coverage, they complain about the liberal press and everything like that. And then if they come, so, you know, there's, if there's some small victory, they gloat, they talk about liberal tears and triggered leftists and everything like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an immature, asinine way to conduct politics, and I look forward to her being consigned to the scrap heap of history. And on that note, uh, we're going to take a little musical break. Now, <laughs> I, I am not... <laughs> you're right. I am not much of a linguist. Uh, I speak Montreal French very badly. I can order beer in Spanish. I can say, I love you in Ukrainian. I can even swear a bit in German. I can order tea in Nepali. I can haggle over the price of bananas a bit in Hindi, and I can say thank you in Ojibwe, miigwech, but I can't say a word in Kosha. But I, I wish I could, because uh, then I could introduce this song with the respect it deserves. The song we're about to hear is the national anthem of several African countries, uh, including the Republic of South Africa. So, class stand, hats off. Here is Lady Smith, Black Mombazo, singing... <clears throat> Nkoshi Sikalele Africa or God bless Africa. Sigalel, 
That was uh, Nkosi Sikalele Africa. Uh, if you Google "God Bless Africa," you'll find a on YouTube. You'll find a clip of the South African rugby team in 1995. These huge brutes, really strong guys, black and white, standing shoulder to shoulder, arm arm in arm, singing that song, uh, singing their hearts out. And the thought that struck me is. Have any of us ever seen a Canadian hockey player sing our national team? Uh, I'm going to jump in. Come on, man. I mean, go to the World Junior Hockey Championships, and uh, if, if Canada wins, if Canada loses, but if Canada wins, i got to tell you, those kids are arm in arm. They're singing. They're crying. Do they know they're, the words? Do they, they, know, they the know, words? know the words? One of the greatest moments in Canadian international hockey history, and Bill, you've known me for a number of years. You know I've seen every single international game Team Canada's played since 1972. It was a 1982 World Junior Championship when Canada sent its first national team it was only broadcast on radio. It was in North Dakota, and they won a surprise gold medal. Mike Moffat stoned the checks in the final round-robin game, and the players <laughs> linked arms at center ice in this barn in North Dakota and sang the national anthem, and I listened to it live on my radio in the kitchen in Montreal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a goosebumper <laughs> right. right there. All right. So, Welcome back to Pucks and Politics. <laughs> Thank you, Sean Conway. You just do hockey trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah hockey <laughs> trivia. Okay, so... The uh, municipal election in Peterborough. I'd like to start with sign wars. What's happening in, in the wards? I know when I travel around town ward, it's carpet bombed with uh, uh, Diane Tarion. It looks like she's she's going to walk away uh, with the entire vote. Uh, but when I go cycling, I did a, a little bike ride on the weekend. I looped through Monaghan and Otonaby, and things look very different. There weren't very many Tarion signs, certainly in Monaghan, and only uh, no, there were a few in Monaghan, almost none in Otonaby. What are people seeing? Well, let's 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 just take it back to 2014 for a little bit before we move into in, into the yeah. current election. We saw the same thing 2014 with Mr. Bennett and uh, Ms. Monsef, and we're seeing that that same sort of scenario play out. But we're also dealing with a deeply, I would think, unpopular incumbent, and there's a lot of baggage attacked 
attached to the incumbent. And so that candidate is going to have to do a lot to get ahead of that. And it's choice that he's using the word momentum. But what's really happened? I, I think I think momentum is actually a, a fairly a fairly good thing to do to use. I don't know if it's if it's momentum or wearing down. I think that we've seen a numerous issues that have uh, that have been repeated over and over and over again. It's it's kind of like how long can the progressives of Peterborough hang out before fatigue? Finally sets in, and, uh, and and I think that it, yeah, is it momentum? Is it or is it a wearing away? I don't know. I, I, inertia, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think is more appropriate. I mean, Bennett has always been a very lazy campaigner. He certainly that's why he got caught short with Merriman, almost lost the election. He was late into this. His website wasn't ready in time. I, did any of you watch the Merrill debate on uh, Mycortha? Uh, just went live yesterday. I, I watched most of it today, and, and I have to say, no criticism, Peter, this week. They, they've done a lot to promote the stuff. It was stifling to watch, uh, <laughs> and it was partly the format, and it, they had some interesting things to say. Right. If there was any distinction, though, there, you know, Bennett cannot help but present himself as sort of aloof and imperious, um, which does play – to a certain part of the city. Imperious. Yes, imperious. absolutely. Talking. I think uh, I think you said imperious, and then that also kind of ran. <laughs> oh, that's what I meant to say. I stumbled <laughs> over my words. What did I say? Imperious. Imperious. Oh yeah, no. Imperious can be deceiving. Yeah, yeah, they can be. They can be. Well, no, he, you never miss him. So, I, <laughs> but the, it, it is a litmus test for, for the changing demographics of Peterborough. And I know I harp on that quite a bit. Yeah. No. And Bennett is assuming that he can just present himself as. Look, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who looks like the mayor of Peterborough. That's been his basic platform every time. Of course, he's had policies. But in terms of the image he presents, he's like, well, look at me. I'm the obvious mayor. And it gets harder and harder every election uh, to pull that off because the growth in the city doesn't follow the same template as as the old guard in this town. But the growth in the city uh, also represents, for the most part, newer subdivisions. It it represents – so it represents uh, a people who are – Kind of going for what what Bennett has to offer, and uh, you know the the they want their neighborhood to to be uh, easy drive to where they shop, where they where they entertain, and where they dine, which is often not downtown. It it it, it makes it easy to vote for him when when some of his his platform policies cater to that. Now, Mr. Fraser, sure. uh, just to quickly step in there. Would you then suggest that the majority of city planning over the last eight years has been to consolidate the power of the mayor with sprawl? Okay, so there's there's two questions that are that are being asked here. Do I think that that the that the city is is working on a mayoral agenda? I don't know. Is the city pushing towards uh, sprawl, uh, hellbent for leather ways? I, I think so. We're, we're seeing decisions uh, like the Ashboro uh, neighborhood that's being built, like the Lily Lake neighborhood, mm-hmm. where things like complete streets, things like uh, smart neighborhoods, uh, things like basic things like having transit put in place before you build uh, a subdivision just aren't there. Yeah. Now, now is this is this happening as as the staff kowtowing to the mayor, or I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Donald, there is, I think, a, a chicken and egg here. Donald, w- would you put the the resistance from council, and not just from the mayor, to the Ontario intensification guidelines and places to grow? All Ontario cities have to stop growing, uh, slow down growing out, start growing up. Would you 
frame that in the same context? Uh, yeah, I, I think that we are we are following a blueprint laid out by. Um, Look back in time to Whitby. Look forward and uh, a bit for, further forward in time to Barry. We're looking at uh, at ideas that that don't work. That the provincial government has gone on record as saying this is not our blueprint for growth, and 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 we are we are ignoring it completely. I just want to take a little bit of issue of, of how you're portraying. I, you're right that you know talk about the growth in the suburbs. These are people who tend to more conservative politics, but not a hardcore conservative politics. Um, and people today don't often vote in a very informed way. You know, there, there are certain hot-button issues and certain branding and image things that they get attracted to. And I, I'm not sure Bennett is the guy who can really capture that. He's not a populist in the sense of, say, a Doug Ford. I'm sure – I mean, I know Sean won the suburbs. But uh, the, the conservatives certainly probably had a lot more strength out there than having downtown. I think that's obvious. But, you know, Bennett represents – I think his appeal is that he represents an almost nostalgic sense of what Peterborough used to be. You know, that old boys feel about Peterborough. And he's sure he talks about development and, and highways and that kind of stuff, but he's not a very aggressive campaigner. He's, he, and I, I don't see him recruiting a whole lot of new votes outside of, you know, the mailing lists and networks of the Conservative Party and telling people to come out and vote. There, there's definitely the old boy situation going on, but you can also see the, the interests of different wards and who has been elected in those wards as uh, indicators of the support for the mayor. Um, those 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 uh, councillors and, and the mayor are in lockstep. Uh, so if you're seeing re- repetitive, very conservative councillors coming out of out of wards, you you see that as a reflection of how those wards feel about our current mayor. Could we comment on signs? Do signs matter? Tron, you, you just come off a campaign. Do, do, do lawn signs matter and the prevalence of them? Let me tell you a story, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Love this. I'm involved in a campaign in a town in southwestern Ontario right now. And uh, that's all I'll say about it because we don't want to get into naming names or any of that sort of thing. But I've taken taken on some, some work. And this campaign has foregone the use of signs altogether. Woot, woot. This person is contending uh, for the mayor seat in this town. Uh, they came off of a, a provincial election, a close second, and I'll say they came in a close second to the Green Party, if that gives a hint. Um, uh, so we know what town we're talking about. So a friend of mine, no signs. And there was a bunch of hullabaloo kind of raised about this. Like, what do you mean you're not going to use signs? What do, you, what do you mean? Well, we're not using any Coroplast single-use signs. Right now, I've got a garage with a couple thousand signs in it. I have to run in 22. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, uh, but the, the kind of big recycling or not, this individual opted not to mm-hmm. use signs because they have name recognition already. Yeah. And name recognition is important for first-time candidates and to make sure that all candidates will have a level playing field. Uh, so we have, we have candidates running here in Peterborough that, that this is their first step into, mm-hmm. into, into public life. And this is their first step outside of their own circles. And they're wanting to make their circle bigger. So they're going to show off and they're going to say, look at my sign. This is me. I'm doing something. Yeah. I, I think they do have an effect. I, I think any kind of advertising does. I mean, there's, do they have the same effect they used to? I, I, I don't know. But 
Think about a municipal election. Think about it at the council level. You voted for two people. And so, of course, there's people like us who pay really close attention to it. There are people who often are attracted to vote because of one person. And, you know, you see the signs, you get a sense of momentum. The, the name recognition does help. It was more than just signs. But I know in the last mayoralty election, I didn't know Mary Monsef at all. But I started paying attention when I started seeing her signs everywhere. And, of course, you know, the, the people at the market and everything like that, the enthusiasm. But it wasn't from actually hearing her speak or meeting her. I just got a sense of, well, something's going on. i got to check this person out. Well, there's a flip side to this. And, and I'll point out that I, uh, I actually I gave away my, my H-frame for my signs from last election to uh, a current candidate in this election. So I hope, I hope that, you recorded that uh, contribution. I, I sure did, <laughs> as a matter of fact. But I think that there's a superficiality of the signs as well. We were talking off camera, uh, off there's no cameras here, <laughs> and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> we were talking, we were talking off offline about about going down a stretch of road and there it being completely and totally plastered by by signs on, on public land. Uh, there's a superficiality with signs, and a lot of, a lot of people get into uh, into the ballot booth and they'll look down at this piece of paper and they'll say, "Oh, I'm going with that name because I've seen the most signs." and uh, I don't know. Um, the, the, the term advertising popped up, and I think that's closer to, to the case than, than an actual uh, political strategy. Okay. Uh, just, to, just to quickly wrap up, I know you want to you wanna move on to something else there, Bill, but uh, it, it's, signs are important. And to wrap up my story, we've, <laughs> we've, we've partnered down there with a group that's that's going to make them handmade, and it becomes a community action, and it becomes a show of support for the individual. And, and, and people, when they support an individual who's running for public office, they want to be able to tell people. And what's the best mm-hmm. way to tell people other than, you know, um, having their uh, face painted on the side of your house? Lawn sign will do. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to, and uh, Tim, your remark triggered this for me, uh, about voting. What about the one vote per ward strategy? Now, I have heard, I've been told by a number of people, some of them in this room, that in fact, they're going to do that. They are in particular wards. They're only going to vote for one candidate. Why is that? And is that becoming a thing? Is that becoming widespread? It's always been there. It's always been a strategy. Like in this book, running for council, and of course I'm speaking to two of you who have run for council, but you know, there's two things you're looking for. You're, you're trying to get those second votes, which is one of the reasons I love that if there are two votes. You can't really annoy too many people. You know? <laughs> but it's a pretty common practice. I don't know if you guys did it, but there are many candidates, and that's – and I'm not, not going to name any of them, but that's their MO. I mean, and it's not that they go to the door to a stranger and say, please just vote for me. But in their inner circle, their contacts and their networks, that's one of the first things the experienced people say all the time is please vote. And the reason is, yeah. is that, sure, you know, you got the vote, but the other person got a vote and it, it brings down their total. And, of course, when you have several people running for two seats, it, it can make the difference. Now, are you, are you talking about a splitting of, of no? Just of you're, you're, at, you're adding to your opponent's total. So you tell you yeah. you tell someone just please vote for me. Don't give that other person a vote. And in the long run, that's one less vote for your opponent. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's always in, in rather intimate social situations where people will bring up this topic. And they say, you know, front porch conversations over a beer. People will say, you know, I'm only going to vote for X. And I'm not going to vote for anyone else. I know I have two votes, but I'm only going to cast one. I, I'd love to. Sorry. I'd love to know how much that happens because it is. I mean, yeah, in, inside the exactly. campaigns, uh, they're constantly trying to spread that message to their core supporters. And I, I wonder how many people actually do it. I don't know. 
I know that there are a few campaigns here locally that are that are are saying vote in two, like the you know vote for me and, and this person, or yeah. or. Or oh, people campaigning as a slate, sort of. Well, not um, campaigning as a slate, of course. We, we, that's we a, that's a dangerous that. term. A, that <laughs> is a, yes, yes. Uh, you know, that's not something that we necessarily want to see until we, you know, I think we'll eventually in municipal politics, we'll get back to political parties. We'll, really? I, I believe that will happen in the next 25 years. I think that we'll see people running a slate. We're seeing kind of in down in Hastings Township, uh, around Sterling, Frankfurt, uh, in those areas, people are running as a slate. It's like this person for mayor and these three councillors for the area. We're seeing those lawn signs go up down there. I mean, take a, take a look at council on on any given week in Peterborough, and and you're seeing you're seeing voting as a slate in council. You wouldn't be talking about six five, would you? <laughs> You know, it's just like hockey once again, isn't it? <laughs> Anyways, we 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 got to get through all these uh, all these wards. Yeah. Okay. So let let me stick my thumb in the soup first. My sense, and this is based. Well, I've spoken to twenty one of the twenty seven candidates in the uh, the for Chant Radio, and of course the the uh, PTBO podcast, Pints of Politics podcast. Uh, my sense is that three of the wards, Northcrest, Monaghan, and Ashburnham, there's going to be no change. I mean, not only no change in political orientation, if you will, but no change in personnel. Well, you know, uh, the incumbents in all three wards are, are going to get in again. And I think in town ward, in autonomy, uh, I think there's going to be one or two new faces. One of them will be recycled face, of course, uh, uh, who's run before and uh, sat before, uh, but no change in political persuasion. In other words, two progressives in town ward and two uh, two supporters of uh, uh, Mayor Bennett in autonomy. I think the, 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 the key and the linchpin is the mayor's race, and I can't predict that one. I, you know, living town ward, I say, oh, Dan's got it, but when I travel around outside, I don't know. There's a lot of thought going on. Yeah, there's on. a lot of thought. I, I, your prognosis, without mentioning names, I, I think is close. I mean, I, I think autonomy is the mm-hmm. is going to be the most interesting yeah. one. I think oh, I really? think Leslie's coming in. I, I think Why so, Tim? I, you know what? Signs. He's signs. And, and, yeah. and Leslie, uh-huh. Leslie has a very effective brand. I think it's been eroded somewhat, and, and I can't say I'm a big fan of, of her work on council, but I do admire whether it's by intent or whether it's just she's backed into it, she has a really good neighborhood appeal. She she identifies herself very solidly as a South End girl, and it, it, it works. And there are a lot of signs up. Now, this is I want to go back to the signs in one sense about this, because I know you're talking about Bob Hall as well. And yeah. I was a little yeah. bit surprised to see all the Bob Hall signs. And, of course, you know, I expect to see Post-it notes, you know, Northcrest, Liberal MP, like all the things he's, he keeps running for. Bob really wants to be elected. And I saw all the signs, and I thought, Really, I, you know, he has no—he has never run in the South End before, but it's—it's it's also the power of party uh, party lists, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 that's the undercurrent, you know. Hockey and, and and Beamer run with conservative lists. Uh, I know that from running a campaign in Monaghan Ward last year, Don Vasiliadis, who has proven to be a, quite a good counselor, but he was working off of liberal lists. And so when you have people you can call directly and ask for sign placements, you can get the signs up very quickly. And Bob yeah. Hall is clearly working with, the, I, I think, the conservative lists. And, and Bob, Bob's one of the hardest working guys. Like he's he's going to be knocking on doors like no tomorrow. Um, him, 
uh, along with uh, with uh, Gary, and I don't know about Keith this year, but but historically, you know, if you're you're a firm believer, Tim, in in doors, and and I'm a firm believer in doors. Bob's a door guy. Uh, you jump over to to my ward, Ashburnham. You got Keith and and Gary. That uh, Bill is is pointing uh, that probably have the lead. Although I got to say that the the number of Sheila signs I'm seeing is is really really quite astounding. Um, I think I think we're going to see uh, a lot of success coming from. Yeah, I I think the the most important thing, especially in a municipal in a municipal campaign is knocking on doors because you don't have the massive media behind that we you know if there's anyone involved who's ever been involved in some sort of major or party thing uh, but knocking on doors is how you do it and that's how you do it at any level if you're not knocking on doors people aren't going to know you and that's how you find your vote that's how you get it out you go and find where they live uh, municipally when you get the voters list no phone numbers Provincially, federally, you get the phone numbers. Right, right. I know. I was surprised so when that, that goes into that sure. goes into the party list that Tim's talking yeah. about. Yeah. They've got the phone numbers. They know how much that person gave to X, Y, Z candidate. That information is public knowledge, and you can find that. And you say, you know what? Uh, my name is so and so, and I'm running for this ward, and I've got this loose party affiliation. I'm going to reach out to that party, and I'm going to say. How much money did this person give, and can I get the same amount out of them? Wow. Yeah, and I just want to say before we, we, we leave the notion of autonomy, the other person uh, who might be in a little bit tough, but if you're talking about knocking on doors, is Kim Zippel, mm-hmm. who, who ran a very strong campaign last time. She's been on. Did, she's did been not knocking, have signs. Yeah. Now she does. Now she does, and she's been knocking on doors for a couple of months. So I, I certainly don't think it's a coronation of Bob Hall uh, in, in the South End. There's a number of other candidates in the South End, too, we haven't even talked about, but if we're going to talk about another one, uh, she does have that neighborhood connection. I know in my cycling uh, through um, Monaghan Ward, which uh, I did in the weekend, I was a bit saddened. Uh, I don't live in Monaghan Ward. I, I saw very few uh, Henry Clark signs because uh, I, you know, I, I don't agree. I, I don't agree with many of the positions Henry Clark takes, but he's always got time to listen and explain. And uh, I was surprised. Henry, Henry Clark, uh, despite the protestations of himself and his wife, is also a very lazy campaigner. Uh, but he is woven into the fabric of Monaghan Ward. In fact, his his campaign signs are actually etched in, in stone um, from... <laughs> He's well, he's been there for so long that uh, he, that brand name recognition is there. Yeah, yeah. There, there 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 was a bit of controversy in the last election. His signs kept appearing at the agency that his wife ran uh, <laughs> around the city and in all sorts of different wards. But he he uh, he he. I, first of all, he's unassailable. He, I, I, despite the lack of signs, yeah, Henry yeah, Clark yeah, is going to win, and Henry Clark got more votes than anybody else, and he will again. Yeah. Um, I can take issue with some stuff that he's done, but yes, Henry Clark. We just. Uh, maybe I'll just probably stay on the level of brand. Henry Clark is a very effective brand. Uh, he does come across as a person who listens and is reasonable yes. and that sort of yes. thing. I know we're getting low in time. Can we talk about Town Ward for a minute? Because I think Absolutely. that one is very Absolutely. interesting. Move on. I think, uh, you know, again, I think we can we can sort of pencil in Dean. <laughs> well, we laugh. I mean, yeah. people wonder. No, I've, no, been, I... I've been very strong supportive of Dean for the years, and, and people have asked me because – uh, his politics always haven't been as progressive as mine. He took some votes on the casino and a few things I disagreed with. But I think what people have to realize is you talk about being woven into the fabric. I mean, I was I was you know one of the members of the Hunter Street art scene back in the in the nineties. Union we, Theater, yeah. When we in the Union Theater, and Dean went to the Union Theater. You know, he right. was he was a person 
that that sort of cafe district, young downtown businesses, Dean grew up with all those people, and we don't forget that he was the first city councilor to support us. So pencil him in. The real interest is going to be in the second round, uh, yeah. where we're looking at Kemi and we're looking at Russell, because the thing that I'm not sure if every listener knows is that in town ward, businesses can vote by their address, and the business community always puts up one of their candidates. Uh, Jim Hendry was their candidate last time, and Jim, now now we're talking about lazy campaigners. He took a <laughs> vacation during the campaign, but uh, Jim Russell, I think, is, uh, is is very much supported by the downtown business association. So in, in that group, so he could be a dark horse. I, I I've read his campaign. I'm kind of wondering why he's running on town ward. It sounds like he wants to has higher political ambitions, and that's a stepping stone. Okay. Now, listeners can't see this, but uh, there is a forest of papers in front of our guests. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you hear the rustling of the papers. And one of those papers is the 2014 results. Now, not having X-ray eyes, I can't see. But I do remember that the mayor got 11,000-something. Miriam got 9,000-something. And so the, the common parlance uh, I, I'm hearing in discussions around town is, well, this time it's, it's it's more of a uh, uh, somehow a purer race. It's just two horses in the race, Dan Terrian versus Daryl Bennett, and that's it. But compared to 2014, we had Alan Wilson taking 4,000 votes. And Patty Peters. And Patty Peters. So how does that shake down when you map on the 2014 results? I'm talking about progressive, conservative, to the horse race we have on now. You also had horrible voter turnout. Yeah. Now, that, to me, is a false majority, and I wouldn't believe anybody that's, you know, that's a horrible voter turnout. The the city of Peterborough really has to to get moving on that and getting people out to vote. Okay. Just quickly, what what does everyone have to do to raise voter turnout? Candidates, the city, people like us, what what has to happen? I, I think our current politics are doing everything to drive down voter turnout. Uh, people people look at it as a cynical game, and it's being played that way. It, you know, we make voting easier. Voting is ridiculously easy. And I said this on a previous show, so I won't go deeply into it now. We're under time. But it is really easy. When people click onto how easy it is just to click a vote, then that might turn it up. Uh, what I did in, in uh, the last election is I went to doors that nobody else had gone to. And people, you know, I, I went to the doors with the blue sign on them. I went to I went to every single door that I could. We were able to raise voter turnout and identify new voters, people that had never been contacted by us. We had the highest voter turnout here in Peterborough at 66% in the provincial election. All right. And with that, Sean Conway, Donald Fraser, Tim Etherington, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Just before we sign off, I just want to go over a schedule for their September next Tuesday on the 25th. We're going to hear recorded interviews with uh, Jenny Alencio and uh, Ian Peddle. Uh, then October 2nd, it's Henry Clark and Sheila Wood. Again, recorded interview. Then on the 9th, another panel, uh, Etherington Fraser, and we'll see. Uh, Southern Conway, who knows? And then October 16th, what's that? It's advanced day. It's advanced day, true. And October 16th, we're going to hear uh, from Jason Walwork and uh, Jane Davidson. And another panel on the 23rd to debrief the election. We'll check in with you next week.